unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Good morning. My name is Adam, and uh, if I haven't met you, it's uh, great to have you with us. Let me also apologise for my voice. Uh, Some sickness has swept through the Shoemaker household this week, and uh, unfortunately, my two-year-old boy passed it on to me, which was very kind of him. Now, uh, last week, if you were here, we kicked off a two-week or a three-week series that we've called Beneath the Surface, Exploring Issues of the Heart. Now, what we're doing in this series is we're looking at some important areas of our lives that tell us something about the state of our hearts and the state of our relationship with God. They're like lights on the dashboard of our lives. And so last week, we talked about our emotions. Today, we're going to be talking about our money. And next week, we'll be talking about forgiveness. Now, someone came up to me after the the service last week, and they told me about the time that a a friend was complaining about an illuminated light on the the dashboard of their car. They didn't know what to do about it. And so then a a few days later, they came back to them and they said, hey, I've I've sorted out that issue with the the light on the, the dashboard of my car. I put sticky tape over the top of it. Now, I don't need to tell you that that's not the way to deal with lights on the dashboard of your car, and nor is it the way to deal with these important areas of our lives. We shouldn't ignore them. We shouldn't overlook them. We should pay attention to them. And that's what we're doing for the next couple of weeks. Now, as I mentioned last week, we talked about our emotions, an incredibly important topic. If you missed that, you can jump online and listen to that. This week, as I also mentioned, we'll be exploring our money, or more specifically, we'll be exposing our treasure. We're going to be ripping the sticky tape off this important area of our lives. And we must do this, even if it hurts, because money is such a significant part of our lives. In fact, there was a a study done in 2017 by the Financial Planning Association of Australia, They asked thousands of people the question, what does living the dream mean to you? What does it mean to live the dream? I wonder how you'd answer that question. Thousands of people responded, the number one answer was having the lifestyle of my choice. Closely followed by having financial freedom and independence. In other words, for most Aussies, to live the dream it is undeniably, inextricably tied to money. Now, there's nothing wrong with that per se. These are are good goals to have. But I wonder, are they really living the dream? I mean, is financial freedom really the measure of a life well lived, of the good life? Millions and, and millions of people, if it is, would not qualify for living the good life. Jesus himself would not qualify. 
Now, I know that we're all in different places when it comes to our money. We all have different amounts of it. We all have different attitudes towards it. But one thing I know is that we all have it. We all have some degree of money, which is why we all need to know what God has to say about this significant area of our lives. Now, the problem is, of course, that most of us don't like to talk about money. Even right now, some of us are feeling perhaps a bit uncomfortable or a bit nervous. Maybe some of us are feeling guilty or embarrassed or defensive. I mean, money is not a common topic of our conversations. Well, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, depending on the way you look at it, somebody forgot to tell Jesus. I mean, when Jesus was on earth, during his short time on earth, he talked about money a lot. He was probably not quite, you know, comfortable to be around at a party. He talked about money more than lust, even more than heaven and hell. In fact, around 15% of what Jesus had to say in the Gospels, it concerned money and possessions. One preacher, I heard him say this week, if I preached on money as often as Jesus did, I wouldn't have a church. No one would come. Now, maybe you're not a Christian and you're thinking, see, this is why I don't go to church. This is why I'm not a Christian. You're just after my money. The church is a a money-making scheme. Let me say this. The truth is Jesus didn't talk about money so often because he loves money. He talked about money so often because he loves us. Jesus didn't want or need our money. He wants our hearts, and he knows that we need help. We need freedom in this area. He knows that money has the unique ability to tangle up our hearts. I mean, for many of us, this is the area of our lives that we are yet to bring under God's will. I mean, this is an area that we've kind of made off-limits to God. God, I don't mind you know, you having a say in all these areas, but not over here. But if we are going to walk in spiritual health and in spiritual maturity, we must, we must understand God's will for our wallets. And so perhaps some of us this morning, instead of getting defensive, we need to get decisive. Maybe we've been ignoring or overlooking or floating in this area of our lives. But it's time for us today to choose who we will serve. To make a decision and to make some changes. And in fact, this is exactly what Jesus wants for us in this passage. The passage that we read just a moment ago from Matthew's Gospel, from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is calling on us to make a clear choice. In fact, he's calling on us to make a clear choice in three key ways. Ways. And the first, if you're taking notes, is this Jesus wants you to choose your treasure. To choose your treasure. Now, Jesus in verses 19 to 21, he gives us a clear choice between two different sets of treasure earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. This is the first thing he says to us in verse 19 Do not store up for yourselves treasures. On earth. 
Now, these treasures on earth are our earthly possessions. They're things that we own physically. And Jesus tells us, do not pile them up. Now, does Jesus say this because earthly treasures are bad? Of course, the answer is no. There's nothing wrong with having possessions, with having savings, with enjoying the gifts that God has given us. The Bible's clear about this. It's not that earthly treasures are bad. It's that they will not last. Proverbs 23, verse 5. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Now, what an amazing picture that is. The next time you buy a a prized possession, maybe a, a new car or a new dress or a new set of golf clubs or even a new home, whatever it is, imagine it sprouting wings and flying away. Because the truth is, sooner or later, it will disappear. It's not that you might lose it. You will definitely lose it. Either you'll lose it while you live or you'll lose it when you die. No exceptions. John uh, D. Rockefeller was one of the wealthiest men to have ever lived. After he died, someone asked his accountant, how much money did John leave? The accountant very wisely replied, he left all of it. It's exactly what Psalm 49 is saying to us. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their house increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. David Powlison was a a Christian counselor. I mentioned him last week. He passed away recently, and so I was reading an article about his life, and he shares a time when he was a teenager that made a, a lasting impact on him. He writes and he says, I sat at my grandfather's bedside after he had a serious stroke. He was rummaging through his achievements, relationships, aspirations and travels. He was searching for something that retained meaning, something he could hold on to, something that he could tell me mattered in life. But everything he mentioned seemed to crumble before his eyes as he spoke. In the end, all he could say that life was that life is more than money. And all he could do was break down and weep. After saying goodbye, I sat on the steps outside the hospital and wept too. I mean, this is exactly what Jesus is warning us against. Do not pile up the wrong treasure. Or to put it positively, choose the right treasure. The treasure that will last forever. And this is what he says to us in verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You see, it's not that Jesus is against us storing up treasure. He's for it. He wants you to do it. He commands it even. But he wants you to store it up in the right place. And he wants us to stop storing it up in the wrong place. Now, what are these Treasures in heaven. Or to put it simply, it's everything that believers can take with them beyond the grave. It's whatever we do on earth that has an impact for eternity. It is the development of Christ-like character. It's who you are becoming. It's suffering for Christ's sake. 
It's those people who we introduce to Christ. It's those who we encourage and nurture in the faith. It's using our time and our money to advance the mission of God through the church. It's using our time and money to help the poor and the needy and the widow and the outcast. Those are treasures in heaven. Things that will last forever. Acts of love and obedience and sacrifice for Jesus' sake. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this so, so encouraging. You see, you might not have very much according to the world's standards. You might not be a John Rockefeller or even, you know, someone who lives in the swanky end of town. You might not be very successful according, according to the world's criteria. You might feel like you're not making much of a difference in the world. But if you love Jesus, if you are seeking to obey him, if you are seeking to become like him, to be generous towards his people, to help others for his sake, then all that you are doing, even though it might not look very significant in the eyes of the world, it will still matter 10 billion years from now. The treasure that truly lasts is what we do for Christ. So choose wisely. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Choose wisely. Now let me just ask you, where are you investing? What treasure are you storing up? How do you even know? Maybe you're wondering. How do I know whether I'm storing up treasure in heaven? Well, here's what Jesus says in verse 21. He tells us. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus tells us how we can locate our treasure. And he says, look where your heart goes. Look at your bank statement where you spend your money. Look at your calendar where you spend your time. And follow that trail to your treasure. Because wherever you effortlessly spend time and money, that is your true treasure. Now this also means if you want to change the location of your treasure, all you need to do is change the direction of your time and money. I mean, you might be thinking, Adam, I would love to invest in heavenly treasure. I'd love to have a heart for the poor. I'd love to be involved in the, the mission of God through the church. And Jesus would say to you, that is great. Then start to put your money where you'd like your heart to go. Don't sit around waiting for the winds of your heart to change. That's not going to happen. You tell your heart where you want it to go. You set the direction. You put your money somewhere and then your heart will follow. Now we know how this works, don't we? I mean, if you buy a significant number of shares in, say, Telstra, I guarantee you will suddenly become far more interested in Telstra. You'll read articles that you wouldn't have read a month ago. You'll be checking the share price day by day because your heart follows your treasure. Or if you sponsor a child in Myanmar through the New Life Orphanage, or if you sponsor a child in Northern Thailand through Compassion, I guarantee that you will suddenly begin to care more about those regions of the world. And when you hear there's a natural disaster in that area, you'll give, you'll pray, you'll care because your heart follows your treasure. And you need to put your money where you want your heart to go. You tell your heart what you want it to do. Don't listen to your heart. Tell her where it needs to go. 
And so here's the first decision we need to make. We need to choose our treasure. But if we're going to do this, we need to be able to see clearly. We need the right perspective. And this is the second choice that Jesus wants us to make in this passage. He wants us to choose our perspective. Now in verses 22 and 23, Jesus talks about seeing properly. Kind of confusing verses about eyes and light and darkness. He says in verse 22, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now when Jesus talks about our eyes being healthy, that word literally means single-minded or undivided. He's saying we should be focused on God. We should fill our vision with the things of God if we want to walk in the light. But of course, by the same token, Jesus is saying if we fill our vision with earthly treasures, then we will walk in the darkness of greed. Now what this means is that every time we walk into Westfield, every time we turn on the TV, Every time we log onto social media or browse through the catalogues in the mail, we are being tempted to turn our eyes away from God and to turn our eyes towards earthly treasures, those things that we are told again and again and again that we must have, that we need for the good life. You know, the, the latest and greatest TV, the iPhone Z or whatever model we're up to, the latest fashion trends, the most exotic holiday destinations, on and on I could go. Our vision is constantly being clouded by earthly treasures. And the danger is, according to Jesus, that our vision can become so clouded with so much stuff that we can become blinded by materialism and blind to our own greed. And we are particularly susceptible to this in the West and in Australia. I mean, I know, I know that we have our own financial struggles and that the cost of living is, is high. But I also know that our standard of living is high. I mean, even those of us who, who can struggle to make ends meet, we have lifestyles that people from the past and that people all around the world today would still consider to be luxurious. According to the World Bank, if you earn more than $6 a day, you are better off than half the world's population. $6 a day. Our teenagers earn more than that in an hour. According to Oxfam, I don't know if you know this, there is more than enough food in the world to feed everyone. But one third of all food that we produce is lost or wasted. Now, there's some wonderful organisations that are, are working to, to fix that, and we have people in our church involved in them. But the simple fact of the matter is that one in five of our shopping bags that we bring home, we might as well throw it in the bin straight away without touching its contents. Because we waste, each of us, up to $3,800 of groceries each year. Now, I'm not saying all this to shame us. I'm just saying that it sometimes, though we have so much, it never occurs to us that we might be greedy. You know, I asked myself this week, Adam, when was the last time that you committed, uh, you confessed the sin of greed to God? And you know, I could tell you hundreds and hundreds of other things, but I can't, couldn't remember the last time I confessed to God that I was greedy. Because greed blinds us. I mean, this is why Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, He said, Watch out. 
be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, Jesus never said, watch out, be on your guard against lying. Because you know when you're lying. But he said, watch out for greed. Because we don't always know. We're not always aware when we're being greedy. It blinds us. And this is why we need to open our eyes. As followers of Jesus, we need to fix our eyes, fill our vision with the right thing. And we need to fill our vision, fix our eyes, not on everything that we don't have. When we compare ourselves to our boss or, or to our co-workers or to our friends. We need to fix our eyes, not on what we're told that we should have. If we're going to be successful and keep up with the Joneses, we have to fix our eyes on everything that we already do have in Christ. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 1 that we have been given in Christ every spiritual blessing. 1 Peter 1, we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And Jesus said in Matthew 5 that the meek shall inherit the earth. This is what we need to remind ourselves of. This is what we need to fill our vision with, the greatness of our inheritance in Christ. Because the truth is we have everything in Christ because Christ gave up everything for us. He left the treasures of heaven. Why? To make us his treasure. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. On the cross, Jesus lost everything so that we could have everything. Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. And so how can we possibly be stingy and selfish when we gaze at the cross? When you see Jesus Christ making you his personal treasure, at great personal cost to himself, the only proper response is to make him your treasure, even if it comes at great personal cost to yourself. And when Christ is your treasure, your true treasure, money is just money. And we need it to live, and to, of course, but you're not crushed by what you don't have or You're not fixated on what you should have. You're free to enjoy what you have and to use what you have for Christ's sake. And so Jesus is calling on us today to choose our treasure, to choose our perspective, and thirdly and finally, to choose our master. Jesus puts it very bluntly but very lovingly in verse 24. He says, you cannot serve both God and God. And money. Now, he did not say it's not a good idea to serve God and money as if it's somehow possible. He said, You cannot. It's impossible. Now, some of us are thinking, Really? Come on. That's a little bit over the top. I'm pretty sure that I can do both. Not according to Jesus. Because according to Jesus, money is not just a temptation or a tool, it is an idol, it is a competing God. It demands that we make sacrifices to get it and it makes us false promises if we do get it or if we get more of it. This is why, though almost all of us know intellectually, money is not the answer to happiness 
almost all of us would still say, if we're being honest with one another, if I just had a little bit more, I'd be happier. We've believed the lie that the key to our future, the key to our happiness is not found in God, but in money. And this is why so many of us believe I can have my cake and I can eat it too. I can serve God and I can serve money. But like a bucket of cold water into our materialistic faces, Jesus is saying, no, you can't. You've got to choose God or money. It's kind of like when you're driving your car and you have Google Maps open to give you directions to get to your destination, but you've also got your spouse in the seat next to you. And they're also giving you directions. Don't go that way. That's longer. That's got more lights. Go this way. Now, at some point, you've got to choose. Google Maps or your spouse. Now, the wise husband knows who to choose. Your wife. Let's want to get there quick. No, no, I'm just kidding. Jesus is saying something similar to us here. See, God and money make us similar promises, promises of satisfaction, happiness, security, but they offer us very different paths, very different routes to get there. Money will tell you to follow the path of self-centered living. God will tell you to follow the path of generosity and self-sacrificial living. You cannot walk both those roads at the same time. You can't. You've got to choose one or the other. So choose wisely. You know, in his book, uh, The Treasure Principle, which I really recommend to you, Randy Alcorn describes the time that he visited Cairo in Egypt. And while he was there, his friends took him to visit a graveyard of some American missionaries. He was led down an alley through a side street to a graveyard that was neglected and overgrown and overrun. And he was led to one tombstone in particular that read William Borden, 1887 to 1913. Now, William Borden was a graduate from Yale, and he was an heir to incredible wealth, an incredible fortune. But he rejected a potential life of ease and comfort to bring the gospel to Muslims in Egypt. He gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars for mission. He even refused to buy himself a car while he was in Egypt. But after only four months of serving in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. His tombstone lists some of the things that he did in those four months, and then it ends with a phrase that Alcorn says he's never forgotten. The phrase on this tombstone simply says, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. You know, immediately after this visit, Alcorn was taken to the Egyptian National Museum, and he was taken to the exhibition of King Tutankhamun. Now, I saw this display when I was in Cairo a few years ago, and it is mind-boggling. King Tut was the, the boy king of Egypt, and he died when he was only 17 years old. But he died with incredible wealth. He was buried in a gold coffin, surrounded by a gold chariot and thousands of gold artifacts. He was literally buried with tons of gold. The Egyptians, of course, believed that they could take their earthly treasures with them into the afterlife. So they put them in the tomb along with their mummified pets. But all those treasures, all those treasures that were intended for the eternal enjoyment of King Tut, they stayed right where they were, buried in his tomb, until they were discovered by Howard Carter in 1922, untouched 
for more than 3,000 years. And what a striking contrast. The tomb of King Tut, filled with riches, filled with gold. It was and is the focus of international attention. And the grave of William Borden, obscure, neglected, and his name has largely been forgotten. In the eyes of the world, William Borden wasted his life. He didn't live the dream. In the eyes of Jesus, the eyes that only truly matter, William Borden lived a life worth living. He chose wisely. And every single one of us has to answer the question, what are you going to choose? What's your choice? And what's your next step? See, we all can't do everything, but we can all do something. And so I don't know, maybe your next step today is simply to get in control of your spending so that you can begin to be generous. Maybe you need to sit down and come up with a budget so you kind of know where your spending's going and so you can begin to reallocate it. Maybe it's just that you need to start giving regularly. Maybe it's to the church. Now, if you're not a Christian, we don't want your money. It's fine. But if you're a Christian, if you're part of the church, if you're part of what God has called you to, it's your responsibility to be a part of the mission of God in this world. And I'm so thankful that we're a church filled with generous people who give consistently and regularly and sacrificially. I praise God for that. It's a sign of spiritual health. And some of us need to join the party. Maybe it's just that we need to start giving towards the poor and the needy, the, the outcast. Maybe we've never done that before. Now, we try to provide some opportunities for you to do that. You know, you can sponsor a child through Compassion. And again, we have 160 children sponsored through Compassion here. Praise God for that. Maybe it's you want to sponsor and support the New Life Orphanage in Myanmar. 150 orphans that we're involved in taking care of in Myanmar. Maybe you want to support chaplaincy in Bray Park State High School and the Chappy Breakfast to see kids get breakfast once a week and have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Maybe you want to support the work we're doing in the Solomon Islands, which you'll find in the bulletin. I mean, there's so many different ways. Maybe after the service, you want to take that next step and you can go to the Connection Centre. There's profiles available there for you to sponsor kids. There's ways for you to give to New Life. You can give through FPOS and just write Chappy Breakfast on it. I mean, take a next step. Maybe there's other causes and other organisations that are close to your heart. Maybe it's crisis pregnancies, or, or, or maybe it's the persecuted church, or abolishing slavery. Maybe you need to give towards Priceless House, and Open Doors, and International Justice Mission, and all of these other organizations that are pushing back on darkness in this world. We can't do everything, but God doesn't expect us to. But he does expect us to do something with the time, the talents, and the treasure that he's given us. For the good of others and for the glory of his name. So let's take those next steps together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you know the next step that each of us need to take. Help us to take that step. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.